You're listening to The Broken Meeple Show, a podcast that speaks passionately about board games for the benefit of those who play them. My name's Luke Hector, best known for The Broken Meeple YouTube channel, and I'm an everyday gamer just like you. And I'll be talking about reviews, top tens, and just about anything that connects me to board games, as long as I have a tea or coffee in hand, that is. So grab a cup, relax, and enjoy. And remember, it's only a game. Hi everyone, welcome to another Broken Meeple podcast. Things are a little bit calmer for me at the moment, mainly because the massive deadline, P11Es and stuff that we were doing for work has finally passed, which means that I'd like to say I can relax a bit more in my day job, but no. <laughs> there's always tons for me to do, and there's always going to be stress with that. But like I say, one massive deadline out of the way, on to the next one, I guess. You know, no rest for the wicked. But otherwise, blog-wise, this is going okay. You know, uh, the last few videos that I've put up have been kind of not exactly, you know, beaming. Although the top ga- top ten board game endgame triggers has certainly started to pick up a bit of pace. You know, it was a bit of an unusual top ten, but it was a Patreon request. Next one's going to be top ten retrospective of 2020. So that one I'll be getting on to recording soon. And the last couple of reviews for Streets and the expansion to Villagers have been kind of ho-hum. I mean, they, they only get so much buzz. But there's a lot of content on the way. I mean, this morning, i got to hope my throat keeps up with this podcast because already this morning I have recorded my uh, culls of June, my acquisitions of June, and the big folded space video where I've gone over all the folded space inserts I've been spending the last few weeks assembling and showing how they work. So that's all coming. But then on top of that, I need to do a review of Die of the Dead, which I'm going to talk about briefly later. Uh, Also, Tinner's Trail, I need to get reviewed. I need to do a review of... uh, What else is there to review? I need to play Scandalo, which is a uh, Kickstarter preview of Awkward... The Mega Corpin Games' new uh, deduction game, which is a bit like Awkward Guests. Oh, you name it, I got a lot to do on the blog, so... Now that that first that horrible job deadline is out of the way, then maybe I can find some time to get some of these done. But uh, yeah, a lot of recording. But I've been also playing a lot of games. I've had my game club uh, this week. I was playing for like 12 hours yesterday at my game cafe. We just met up and played a lot of games. So that was all good fun. Uh, plenty of stuff there, some of which I will talk about in a second. And the UK Games Expo is coming up soon. So I know that some people have hesitation about going to it, especially as they recently announced they can't enforce a lot of the COVID guidelines there, which is, I mean, I can understand why some people would be a little bit uh, problematic with that. But frankly, I don't see how you would be able to enforce it there. It's just far too much. It would be impractical to enforce it all on on a grand scale like that. So at the end of the day, if you want to go there, it's up to your risk uh, profile, really. In my case, my risk is pretty low. I'm already vaccinated. I am 37 years old. Uh, my immune system is like a dwarf. It's rock solid. You know, I mean, I was, you know, I was on, I wasn't vaccinated for a good length of time. And I still went to the gym when it was open and stuff like that. And, you know, cinema when it was open and I never had an issue. So, you know, I'm, I think the risk of me having it is very, very slim, especially as I spend most of my day at home alone because I live alone and I work my day job remotely. So honestly, I'm not out about that much. So, I mean, I'm still going to be there. I'm still going to be there. But if people say it's too risky for them, then fine. 
that's fine. I mean, we in the UK, uh, we don't have to wear masks probably after the 19th, the so-called quote-unquote Freedom Day, as it's been referred to, which I think is a bit of a bad way of putting it, really, because it's not it's not freedom day it's just a relaxation of restrictions you know some of which i would like to see some relaxation too but you know at the end of the day it's now just removing the legal requirement to do stuff as opposed you know and it's just giving it to us by choice which is fine because i'm still going to wear a mask in the right situation i'm still going to wear it in supermarkets i'll wear mine at the convention i'll wear it in you know, crowded scenarios, but, you know, those five seconds it takes you to walk from the front door of a restaurant to your table before you then remove it and don't have to put it on again for the rest of your meal, what's the point? You know, stuff like that, I'm going to be a bit more uh, like, come on, seriously. But, you know, certainly I think in crowded situations, public transport, you're still going to want to take precautions. So, you know, there's a so general stuff happening with me. It's just all very busy, busy, busy. And uh, hopefully things will pick up and just kind of smooth out, you know, goose fraba and just to keep the stress levels down. But um, I'm a little concerned that the weather is going to start heating up soon. And I really am not one for the heat. So please don't get too hot. Please don't get too hot. But uh, let's try and speed this episode a little bit compared to most because I've got a few games to talk about that I've played. I've got some basic news. Not a lot of news has happened lately, so I've just got three pieces I want to talk about. No channel shout out today, but by all means, hashtag support small creators and let me know if there's any small channels you reckon I should give a shout out to. And, and then I've also got the highlight of today, which is the Dice Tower Awards. I was going to do something on Kickstarter and I will do it at some point in the future, but the... Dice Tower Awards were recently announced, and I want to go over them and do my reactions, because I voted on them, but I haven't yet watched the results. I wanted to keep them uh, live on this podcast, effectively, and I know you like my reactions to these awards, but I didn't want to do a separate video. I just wanted to make it a podcast topic. So without further ado, let's carry on with the first thing. So let's talk about some games. Now, I don't want to talk in too much detail about this one, because I'm going to do a review on it soon, probably a Blitz review, because there's it's a, it's a light dice game. There's only so much I can talk about it. This is Die of the Dead from Radical 8 Games. So I've got a review copy of this and I've played some preliminary games of it. I'm almost ready to sort of conduct a decent review of it. This is a dice game themed on the whole kind of Day of the Dead festival uh, that they do over in the, is it Mexico way? You know, that area, Central America. And this is a light dice game where you are putting the dice or souls as they are. I think the movie Coco. And you're putting them into these coffins and your action dictates, you know, you choose a coffin, you do the actions, which may involve picking up the coffin and shaking it and rolling the dice inside effectively, like one big shaker. And then you reveal it and then things will happen based on what dice are rolled. One casket allows you to put souls in, some lets you prepare them, one strips them out entirely, one lets you ascend up this little staircase. And the idea is, is that it's the first person to get to the top of the staircase. You know, it's a very simple game, very light rules, but man, is it beautiful. I mean, it is dripping with all the artwork and theme of that Day of the Dead festival. So it's got the like really brightly colored skulls. The staircase looks like the memorial uh, stands that you see. I mean, like I say, if you watch Coco, the Pixar movie, you know exactly what I'm talking about here. It's very much that theme. The coffins have got that beautiful artwork in them. Nice, you know, cardboard coffins. The dice, all the rules are on these extra little boards. It is a very beautiful looking game. 
and so far I'm enjoying it. Um, I need to give it some more plays before I can be certain and give it a review, but so far the plays have been enjoyable, very enjoyable, mainly because I know going in that this is a dice game. It's a light dice game. There's going to be randomness. This is not for Euro gamers. Oh, blimey, no. If you're, if you're all about, oh, I can control every last aspect of my dice game, then go look elsewhere because this isn't for you. But I have a good laugh with this. You just go into it, just get get into that theme and just laugh at what comes up with the coffins because the coffins are sealed for the most part. So once they start moving along like a kind of a bit of a conveyor belt, you have to kind of like, hmm, what dice are in that coffin again? Ugh, do I dare shake it? I don't know. There's some tokens you can get to do little shenanigan effects. It goes from two to five players and it scales pretty well. Although I will say that four and five is a bit more chaotic compared to two and three, but it's a dice game. It's going to be semi-chaotic. There's some tactical decisions and overall, like I say, it's been pretty solid so far, but I'll say no more now. We'll wait until I get to a proper review of it. But yeah, um, granted, it hasn't gone well with everybody I've played it with. But then those people who have disliked it have tended to be the ones who can't stand it when the dice don't go their way. They want like Euro game control. So it's, as I say, it's not going to be for everybody. But for me, at least, it's certainly going pretty strong. All right, next up is Ohanami. Ohanami is this little light game. It says Pandasaurus here. Mine's some weird... A German multilingual version. In fact, I've got it on my shelf here. If I can pull it out, because it's such a small crevice to get out. Um, NSV. I don't know. It was a multilingual edition that I bought, and it's a uh, multilingual, so it's language independent game anyway. But I bought it basically from a German publisher, and six quid on Amazon. Amazon.co.uk. I bought it for six quid. How cheap is that? But various viewers have been telling me for ages, get Ohanami, you gotta try it. It's a light filler game, you gotta try it. Well, I've tried it now. Are you happy? Well, good. Because I'm happy too. And I thank you for suggesting it to me. Because I like a lot of these little filler card games and I want more of them because I am getting a bit sick and tired of everything having to be this massive monstrosity game, three hour Euro campaign legacy, all that stuff, you know, commitment games. I just want a nice light 20 minute game that I can pull out, teach to anybody, even my family, definitely going to teach this one to my family and have a bit of fun. And this game is actually really solid. It's a light drafting game, two to four players. And the idea is, is that you have to build up this garden full of cards and the cards are numbered one, one to 120 and they're in different suits. And what you do is that you take three rounds, uh, they score slightly differently, so blue cards, then blue and green, then blue, green and uh, grey, and then some cherry blossoms at the end. But basically three rounds, draft ten cards between the players, two cards you pick at a time, and you build three columns of cards in front of you. But the idea is, is that these numbers, they have to be done in sequence. So if I put a 35 and a 46 down... I can put down anything higher than 46 in that column, anything lower than 35, but I can't put anything in between. So as soon as you close, as soon as you create gaps, they're suddenly not um, available to you. And you basically got to draft the cards that you think are going to work well for you, while also keeping an eye on your opponents and thinking, well, it will come back round to me. And I know that you probably won't want to put a high number down because that's going to really mess you up or be inefficient. So here, you have these and I'll draft these two. Lots easy decisions, but like there's decisions to make, but they're not brain burning. It's nice and light, but man, is it beautiful. I mean, you've got water features, you've got little green plants and shrubberies. You've got the rock sort of sculptures like stones and staircases and that on the gray ones. And then cherry blossom trees because it is set in like a kind of Japanese style Zen garden. Even the back of the card has got like the features, the cherry blossom and the bamboo tree and stuff. It's just 
really nice and pretty, but yeah, I really enjoyed this. This is 20, 30 minutes, including the teach. Really easy. If you've played a drafting game, you already know half the rules to this. And it just did a really good job of just being very relaxing and charming, just like a Zen garden should be. And yeah, this was a suggestion by uh, well, like YouTube viewers and Patreons alike. You know, several people had said you should try this game out. I have, and it's in the collection. So thank you very much, guys. That one is a keeper. No full review coming, just accept that as the review. It's a pretty solid filler game. All right, next up on the list, uh, just to continue, In the Hall of the Mountain King. I already mentioned this one before in that I'm playing this one, but I've now got more games of it done. We played a five-player game yesterday. i got to admit, it was enjoyable. I did like it, and I felt I had enough to do, but five players is probably going a little bit long on the whole downtime and length of the game side of things, but it wasn't out of the ordinary. Once people got the hang of the rules, it still moved along at a reasonable pace. And as I say, this game is very good at giving you a lot of depth, but not that much in the way of rules complexity. Although you do have to learn a bit of overhead at the start and certainly setup is still a bit of a pain. I don't have the Kickstarter version of this, which has the game trays and I have got I've ordered those, the kit game trays. I've ordered the upgrade kit as a result of the fall of the Mountain King, get it right. Uh, Kickstarter. So I'm going to get these funky statues, which are going to be really nice. And hopefully I'll get the game trays as well. So I will have a nice souped up copy, but it's definitely staying in the collection now. I don't think I'll have time to do a full review of it, but I'm enjoying it. It's definitely, I think an eight out of 10 at the moment for me, a seal of endorsement. It could maybe rise to a nine as time goes on. If uh, things improve or I see multiple different ways to kind of win the game. I mean, the game, there's only so many strategies you can employ. It's more a case of how you utilize the trolls for production. But I love the spell cards. They throw a nice dynamic into it. And I like the fact that, as I say, there isn't a huge amount of rules complexity. Turns can be fairly straightforward as you're going through the motions and that. So yeah, so far, enjoying it. But I get to play it solo. I've heard that people don't like it co-op, but I've got the solo module in there and I need to play that at some point. So we'll see. But uh, yeah, so far in the Hall of the Mountain King is pretty solid, and I liked Fall of the Mountain King as well. So solid uh, Ray Go Far Burnt Island games, you're doing pretty well. But yep, just to say that things are still going strong for that one. So again, I think a lot of people suggested that one to me, and you were correct to do so. And then finally, to talk about an expansion more than anything else, because... Hopefully I'll get a chance to do a Beyond the Base game video to talk about this game in general. Because people have said, have you done a review of Runestones? Have you done a review of these expansions? No, I haven't. Because the thing is, I've got a lot of other games to review. But also, I have a feeling that nobody's going to watch my Runestones review. Because very few people played this game. It's underrated as all get out. And the Beyond the Base game video for the expansions will probably get even less. But, I will say, it's still a fantastic game and everyone should try it. Especially if you like deck builders. But this new one. I was very lucky to get this expansion. I essentially found it on eBay and, you know, found it at normal price. So I bought it off eBay. I don't know if there's any other way you can get it in this country, in the UK. But what this one does is a very small expansion, much like the, uh, what was it called? The Night Whispers or something? Uh, no, was it got Nocturnal Creatures, something like that. Uh, the first one. And these are very small expansions. I mean, this is all you get in it. You get a bunch of runestones and you get this little sideboard with some other toadstool tokens. The idea is, is that you have these familiars that go along the track. There's points at the end of the game for being the furthest along it. And as you go along, you get bonuses like more cards, more crystals, and these toadstool tokens, which is basically a gnome with a toadstool. It's basically having toad from the Mario game sitting on and giving you cool stuff. But 
there's five different bonuses it can possibly give you, like free cards, uh, free wilds, uh, you know, the ability to keep both cards, the ability to copy other people's stones and cards, which is really cool. But there's mainly just an easy track that when you decide I don't want to use the card for its ability, you can just skip along that track and get some cool stuff. You know, nice and very, very simple to teach on the side. As long as people are aware of what the symbol symbology means on the toadstool tokens, but honestly, they're really not that difficult. But what this one really does well for you, which I love, is the rune stones. It gives you another eight rune stones, another set of special abilities, and that is perfect because now you can have the base eight or you can have the next eight or you can mix and match or you do what i do which is you dump them all in a bag like two of every single runestone goes in a bag uh, that provided with the game and then you draw them out at random for the eight spots on the board and then as one gets taken another one comes out the bag so certain abilities may turn up in bulk some might not turn up at all if someone takes an ability you really like you might not see another one for the rest of the game it's a really good way to do it but there is a slight flaw with it, and I do mean slight. I'm definitely going to house rule or ban one of the rune stones. There's a rune stone in the mix. Uh, you won't be able to see it if you're listening, but uh, where am I pointing to? I am pointing to uh, this one here, which is one that basically says that when other players forge an artifact, you get a gem or an ore token. This runestone is beyond overpowered, and I mean really overpowered, because especially in a two-player game, maybe not so much, but it's still pretty powerful, but in a three- or four-player game, this is just ridiculous amount of gem income. You know, if two of us decide to forge artifacts on the turn after someone buys it, that's already two gems it's got you for free, any gem that you want. And you know, you're not going to use it to get ore tokens, you use it to get gems, that's the best thing to do with it. But throughout the whole game we're going to be constantly forging artifacts because that's the whole thing you do in the game and you're just getting gem 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 everybody who picks up this runestone particularly if it's early in the game just ends up with so many gems that you can't physically stop them from winning it is far too powerful now there's another couple of them that are similar which is if somebody forges an artifact and they get the bonus above it, you get something like a victory point or a gem or a card from the deck or something. Those are fine because the opponent still has to get the bonus. So if they buy it with ore tokens, it doesn't trigger. And if they buy the cheap ones, it doesn't trigger. It's very specific. That's balanced. But the other one is just stupidly powerful. You, you just get far too many gems. You can do anything you like, whether it's forging artifacts or cashing them in for cards and points. It's just too powerful. So... If I can't think of a way to house rule it, which the only house rule I can think of is to restrict it to once per round, because it doesn't have that restriction normally. But even once per round, I mean, that can effectively be a gem per round. That's still pretty powerful when that happens. So I think I'll try it with that house rule first and see if it makes a massive difference. And if it still ends up being overpowered, I'm just going to ban it from the set, which is no big deal because 8 plus 7 is still 15 runestones that I can pick from. So there's one runestone I don't want to use. Whatever. It's my copy of the game. I do what I want. But other than that, gripe. Other than that gripe, these runestones are fantastic. They're great abilities. I like the one particularly that allows you to, um, when you play both cards, you can choose to ignore one card and 
resolve the ability on another one twice that can be pretty powerful and and that's maybe the one thing about this some of these artifacts are quite powerful from the new set so maybe they're a bit more desirable than the base set ones but it depends what combos you get at the end of the day i guess but really love the expansion it's an auto include i teach runestones with both expansions every time i teach the game because i mean i can separate them if i want but because they're such easy additions to the game i just teach everything with everything and runestones is still one that is shooting up my top 100 like you wouldn't believe i can't wait to see where this turns up on that top 100 because i just love this deck builder more people need to try it i am serious on that righty no shout outs let's go on to some quick news items so very quickly to go over these news uh check game editions lost ruins of arnak one of my favorite games from 2020 spoiler but this one has got an expansion coming, Expedition Leaders, and we don't know much about it for the most part, other than it's basically going to bring in some unique starting setups, like asymmetry, it's going to have alternative research tracks, which would be cool, like giving a bigger challenge, and more cards to create new combos and synergies. Thank you, thank you. This is the kind of expansion I want, you know. A little bit of extra asymmetry. You're going to get one of six unique leaders with the different ability skills and even starting decks. That is so cool. I really want to try those so bad. But more cards. Different tracks. That's all I want. More variety. More of the good stuff. Don't give me more mechanics that just make the game too complex. This is something I'll be able to just throw into every single game. Without fail. No reason I can't teach the game with the stuff in it. You know, just throw it all in and go cannot wait this is such an auto buy it's unreal so very excited about this you know the game is fantastic way better than doing imperium i'm sorry but it just is and you know i'm excited bring more stuff thank you cge this is how you do a good expansion uh, Fantasy Flight is doing um, an expansion for Journeys to Middle-earth. I've still got to get through the Dale campaign in it, so uh, it's not like I'm desperate for more content, especially as I don't think the box will hold anymore, even with the insert in it. But they've got one called Spreading War, which is going to come out this winter. So this is going to deal a lot with uh, Rohan and Gondor by the looks of it. Uh, you're going to get the um, the elephants in there, like the big elephants from the movie. And it's basically, a, I would say, a bigger version than the expansion we had before. I forget what that one was called, but the, is it still there? Actually, maybe I can see the title. No, I don't have that box there. But whatever the previous was, Shadows of Mirkwood or uh, Moria or something like that. But, you yeah, know, that expansion was good. Gave a lot of content. This one is basically another big box expansion. So, you, you know, you've got six more heroes. You've got a bunch more tiles, more 20 miniatures. 18 more tiles new roles new terrain types it's like it's going to be like another ton of content as if you need any more however the hero choices i'm definitely on for i have no idea who freely it is you know who's that supposed to be or rin was it rinerian rinerian i have no idea but boromir dwalin and bjorn who can shapeshift into the great bear that is going to be fun i am so playing bjorn on my first game of this campaign it's going to be great and you've even got a big bear miniature which i gotta admit looks a little bit odd <laughs> it looks a little bit like cartoony but like i say i get to shapeshift into a giant bear what's not to like that's going to be sweet and yeah more content i mean some of these miniatures look great you know the big charging element the mumax or whatever they're called from the films uh, a couple of drakes more characters and a siege tower i'm curious what kind of scenario is going to have us uh do a siege tower but yeah gondor and rohan so we're exploring those ones because i think the last one was more about wood elves and spiders and all that stuff and 
yeah, I suppose it will be actually nice to play one of these games and not have to deal with spiders for a change. But yeah, I'm looking forward to this, but well, with some skepticism, because A, will it fit in my current crate, and B, will I have got through the Dale campaign by the time this comes out, because this is just going to throw another campaign in. How much content do I need for this game? You know, it's not like, you know, you can repeat campaigns in this because you've got branching paths. So there's a lot of replay value in this game. Whew, fantasy flight. Yeah, that's what they do. And oh yeah, speaking of Dune Imperium that I mentioned a minute ago, Rise of Nine, or Rise of X, Rise of IX, whatever. I have no idea what X is. Like I say, I don't know the Dune lore, but an expansion has been announced for Dune Imperium. So you've got some more houses that you can use, or Archduke House... ECAZ, E-C-A-Z, I have no idea, like I said, I know nothing about this lore, but this is going to bring in some more houses, some more cards, these dreadnoughts, which are supposed to be like really cool for controlling areas and combat, some new technologies that you can grab, and an epic game mode, but that's about it, there's not a huge amount of information here, but just to get you excited that an expansion for Dune Imperium is on the way, uh, spoiler alert, my cull video might be featuring Dune in there, and, uh, you know, I, well, I'll give my reasons in there, but I don't think this expansion is going to suddenly fix it for me, but, especially if it makes combat even more of a major thing than it already is, but, as I say, it's there, so if you're a Dune Imperium fan, then just be a little bit patient, some point later this year, by the looks of it, it does say 2021 on it, you're going to get an expansion for it. So, you know, more content for a game that is very, very popular. Okay, let's get on to the main event now then. So, the Dice Tower have done their, what, 14th or something annual Dice Tower Awards. This is something that I get to vote on as well as part of the sort of Dice Tower network. And I have put my votes down. So, I'll let you know what I voted for out of the nominations and that when I get to the answers. And I have not seen the results. I think I've heard one or two by spoilers from people, but that's about it. But other than that, I have not looked at the list. I'll watch the full video that they've done later, but I wanted to keep it like properly new and live as much as possible for this podcast, just because you enjoyed it when I did it the last time. So will I agree with these results or will I have some comments to make? Well, I'll have comments to make on everything because that's uh, what I do. That's why you like listening to me. But a uh, quick swig of tea gingery tea goodness helps the throat a bit and uh, off we go so starting at the bottom most innovative game most innovative game was the crew the quest for planet nine out of a bunch of nominees of forgotten waters micro macro and the search for planet x and whistle mountain now the nominations i was a little bit intrigued by because whistle mountain is a really cool game is it the most innovative in the world? Possibly, because to be fair, the way the engine builds up in it is pretty unique. Search for Planet X, though, uses a cool app to do the logic puzzle of space, so that was definitely a potential one. I've still not played Micro Macro, so I can't comment, but sounds pretty innovative. I don't know why Forgotten Waters is on there. I don't know, hasn't that sort of like thing of a campaign book and, you know, playing through a story like that being done before? I don't know, I still have not played this game, but... I don't know, maybe this should be one that I look out for. What's your opinion? Should I get Forgotten Waters and try it? How much time is it going to take? You know, is it hard to learn the rules? Is it going to take me five years to get through the campaign? Can I play it solo is the important question because I don't think I'll be able to play this with anybody. Uh, so let me know on Forgotten Waters. Maybe I should make some effort to look at it. But the crew won it and you know what? I couldn't agree more. 
yeah, I mean, as much as I probably would rather play Search for Planet X as a game, and Whistle Mountain is one of my most favorite worker placement games of all time at this point, the crew is easily the most innovative. I mean, a trick-taking co-op game in a small box that can be played within like five to ten minutes with multiple scenarios, this combination should not work, and yet it does. It is a great game, it's a great card game, it's in my collection, and definitely one to check out. The fact that they're doing a new one though is kind of weird. They're doing like the crew deep undersea mission or something. Well, is that going to be the same game, just new scenarios? Because I don't know if they're going to change mechanics or anything. It's kind of weird, but I mean, how much more can you change up trick-taking? We'll have to see. Let's see what's next. Uh, rules teaching. Excellence in rules teaching. Okay, this is an interesting one. Uh, I skipped a bit there, spoilers, but excellent in rules teaching winner Gloomhaven Jaws of the Lion. Yeah, this was a weird new category, but the idea being that, oh, they haven't put the nominees on here. That's kind of weird. That's a little bit lacking, but they've basically given it to Gloomhaven Jaws of the Lion, probably because it teaches Gloomhaven as a kind of basic version of the game and then gets you into it. Uh, I mean, I didn't personally like go for it. I mean, I've not uh, you know, it just felt the same as normal Gloomhaven, to be perfectly honest. You know, it was just a slightly more basic version of the game. But as you already know, I'm not the biggest Gloomhaven fan in the world. So, I mean, well done for getting it. But I feel like that. I, I say, when I saw the category, I thought, how exactly is this supposed to work? Because I can't imagine as many games that you could give this award to that do this kind of thing. This is like a one-off. So... I was a little bit ho-hum on this whole category, but uh, yeah, it doesn't look like uh, many of the other ones that we talked about are showing up, so maybe that's a glitch on their website, but oh well. And slight spoiler alert, uh, best welcoming game was The Isle of Cats, with nominations of Calico, Calico, however you want to pronounce it, My City, Scooby-Doo Escape from the Haunted Mansion, and Trekking the World. I have not played most of those games, i got to admit. My City I've not played. I have no intention of playing Scooby-Doo and Trekking the World either. So, yeah, I could only really vote for one of two games here, and that was Calico or Isle of Cats. And I was kind of torn on this one. But I think overall I had to... I don't know. I'm trying to remember which one I voted for. I've got a feeling I voted for Calico. But honestly, the fact that Isle of Cats is one is still good, in my opinion, because it was a tough decision. Because the thing is, cats are cool. Cats are lovely, cats are cute, and, you know, they're going to be very welcoming. But when I thought of the term welcoming, I was thinking, well, if it's going to be welcoming, not only does the theme have to be, you know, one that you would gravitate towards or one that's very nice and colorful and that, I would have figured that it'd need to be very simple as well. Calico is a very simple game. It's basically a push-your-luck game. But Isle of Cats has a little bit more nuance to it with the drafting and the polyomino tiles. So I was probably thinking more down to if it's going to be welcoming, it also needed to be gateway level. Isle of Cats is not a gateway game. Even with the family mode, I wouldn't call it gateway. But Calico is easily a gateway level game. It's like stupidly simple. And I think also the cover, I think, helped a bit as well because Isle of Cats has got the little cats there and it's just basically the big words the Isle of Cats with an island in the background but Calico has that lovely little cute little kitty on the curled up on the little duvet and stuff it's just so cute and adorable it's just you want a more welcoming uh, game to take off the shelf I would say you know Calico is the one but I say it was a tough call Isle of Cats Calico pick and choose your poison really I'm glad that one I'm glad one of them won it anyway rather than the others 
So, this two-player game goes to Undaunted North Africa with the nominations of Cosmic Encounter Duel, not played. Curious Cargo, not played. Fox in the Forest Duet, not played. And Imperial Struggle, not played. Yeah, I didn't actually vote on this category because I've not played these games. I got no interest in playing Imperial Struggle. The whole concept of playing Cosmic Encounter as a two-player game just doesn't make any sense. Never really wanted to try Curious Cargo. I've heard no one talk about it. I really want to try Fox in the Forest, the game, period, as well as the duet card game. You know, it sounds really cool. So that's definitely the most intriguing one I want to talk about. But it's gone to Undaunted North Africa, which is kind of a bit weird, though, really, because didn't Undaunted Normandy come out first? And isn't this just basically the same game with a re-theme? I don't know. But people have said, have you tried Undaunted? Have you tried Undaunted? It's like, well, no, because it's a two-player only game. It's hard for those to stay in my collection, not to mention get played anyway. But that might be being solved soon, because... Osprey Games have got in touch with me as I was talking about a recent game that I think I'm reviewing or that I've played from them. What was it? I'm pretty sure. Oh, yeah, they've sent me a... Oh, yes, I'm getting sent copies of um, Imperium, the uh, deck building game that they've done. And uh, the uh, uh, marketing guy there has got in contact and said, do I want anything else from the back catalogue? And so I've asked them about a few of their older titles like uh, Wildlands and uh, I've already played Cryptid, but I asked for a copy as well. Uh, a couple of other smaller games, but also Undaunted. Because I felt like it was probably time I tried one of the Undaunted games. So if they hold up on that promise and send me a few games and Undaunted is one of them, then I will try it out then. But as I say, well done to Undaunted, but this wasn't a category I could really comment much on. I'm not the uh, target audience. Okay, carefully on to best theming. Forgotten Waters won this one. Well, I think out of the nominations, I had some better choices. Although, well, when I say better choices out of the nominations, I mean better choices out of the ones that I thought of as nominations. Not what the selection we had to vote on, because we had... Dune Imperium, Forgotten Waters, Mariposas, the butterfly game, Pan Am, and Super Skill Pinball 4K. I'm sorry, but Super Skill Pinball 4K is a roll and write game. Roll and write games aren't there for theming. Uh, Dune Imperium is, I suppose, a strong theme, if you know even the slightest iota about the Dune lore, which I don't. And even then, I don't think the game really brings out the Dune lore that greatly. You know, I don't really care what I'm trading in there. I don't know the difference between the factions. I mean, you just go and level up a track, and it's just cubes, and it's looking very bland. It's like, nah. Mariposas, I'm not played, and Pan Am, I've got no interest in playing that either. I mean, I'm surprised that's there on a theming name, but... I mean, I know 2020 kind of sucked a bit for themes in general, but what about Lost Ruins of Arnak? I mean, I'd rather have the theme in there. When I play Lost Ruins of Arnak, I'm constantly quoting Indiana Jones and Tomb Raider references, and it looks gorgeous. That theme works really well. Compared to Dune Imperium? Compared to Super Skill Pinball, for crying out loud? I don't know. I was not happy with that. I mean, what is it about this category and getting shafted on all the awards there, whether it's Dice Tower or Board Game Geek? golden geek or other awards what is it about this category that it always just seems to go south i don't get it but there must have been better choices in 2020 i know it was a sucky year but there has to have been some i know we'll find out when i do my retrospective 2020 list i guess but yeah i wasn't happy with the stuff i had to vote on here in fact what did i vote on i think i i think i probably did vote on forgotten waters uh, just because when I knew of it as a theme, I vote. Um, I figured it was like the strongest because it was a campaign story. 
But yeah, I wasn't happy with the choices that turned up. But uh, award goes to Forgotten Waters. All right, what's next? Ah, best strategy game. Oh god, this is going to be fun because remember the rant I went over on the on the Golden Geek Awards. We tend to get the strategy award done a bit better than the Golden Geek ones on the Dice Tower Network, but uh, you know, no guarantees. Ah, hello. Speaking of uh, Lost Ruins of Arnak. Lost Ruins of Arnak is the best strategy game winner, yes, because that's the one I voted for. Yes, On Mars, Beyond the Sun, Lost Ruins of Arnak, Dune Imperium, Praga Kaput Regne. Now, I've not played Beyond the Sun, but I would like to, despite the fact that it looks like trash on the table. Uh, Dune Imperium, a strategy game? It's too light to be a strategy game. It's, it, it's too light in general. I just... And there's a lot of luck of the draw with your deck building, and you know, I, I can't, I can't really see Dune Imperium as a strategy game. That seems a little bit weird to see it in the choices. Fraga Kaboot Regne is perfectly valid. On Mars is certainly valid. I mean, but the problem with On Mars, as I said in my cold video, it's just too complex for its own good, regardless of the work that Paul Grogan put into it. It's like there are just some games that you can only simplify so much for teaching, and On Mars is just a beast, too much of a beast. But I voted for Lost Ruins of Arnak. I think as a midweight Euro, this is such a good, fun game. And it definitely has some strategy in it, as well as some tactical opportunities to pull. Love this game. Voted for it. It won. Happy days, Lost Ruins of Arnak. All right, best solo game nominees. Uh, haven't scrolled far enough. So we have Dune Imperium. Yeah, that, that, that made sense. Dwellings of Elder Vale, Lost Ruins of Arnak, Super Skill Pinball 4K, and Under Falling Skies. Who won? Under Falling Skies. And I did this one. Yes, I voted for this one as well. I mean, Dune Imperium solo mode is probably the best way to play Dune Imperium. I will give it that, but not enough for me to want to keep the game. Dwellings of Eldervale has a very good solo mode as well, but it's a big mammoth game. You've got to get out and there's still a bit of rules overhead, so it's not exactly the easiest thing to do. Not played, super skilled pinball. but And Lost Ruins of Arnax solo is good, but... Not one that I'm going to pull out all the time. I'd still rather play it with some people. But yeah, Under Falling Skies, still in my collection. A great solo game, like playing Space Invaders effectively with the dice rolling and those tense decisions about how to use the dice to shoot down the enemy vessels while you know doing the research and getting energy before the mothership reaches you. Such a well-designed game in a good box size with a little mini campaign and some good replay value. This was a solid hit for solo gamers. I voted for it. It won. Can't argue with this one at all. Best reprint nominees. And as I scroll up, I'm trying my best not to see the winner. So Seven Wonders, 2nd Edition, Eclipse, 2nd Dawn for the Galaxy, Forked, Project Elite, and Rococo Deluxe Edition. And actually, I need to uh, check this one out, actually. Forked, reprint? Because I was a little confused by this, but I don't think I ever checked. Was Fort originally another game? Let's have a look. For re-implements SPQF. Okay, what's SPQF? Grow your ancient civilization from humble origins to greatness. Fort re-implemented this game? Okay. Interesting. Uh, all right, well, when was this? 2018. Never heard of this game at all. Fort apparently re-implemented it, did it? Okay, fair enough, but... Yeah, that confused me at first, but Fort is a solid game. I'll give it that. So the winner was Rococo Deluxe Edition. Oh, well, 
I mean, it's nice looking. I mean, the game is average. Well, it's above average. It's all right. It's a fine Euro, but it's another Euro. At least it has a slightly different theme, although it doesn't quite bring out. But it was a very snazzy looking deluxe edition. And to be fair, there wasn't that many other choices on the nominations, really. I mean, Project Elite I played and reviewed. That was okay. Fort, I think, was the one I... Actually, yeah, come to think of... No, I didn't vote for Fort because I didn't know it was a like major reprint it just felt like a very different game uh certainly didn't vote for eclipse i think i might have vote i think i voted for seven wonders the second edition on that one because it was a uh, nicest reprint but yeah there wasn't much there for reprints but i suppose it doesn't shock me that rococo won it if you're comparing it to all this lot but rococo is just not a game that i gravitated towards much so if we're going to talk production quality alone and certainly i think it deserves the win certainly more so than something like eclipse but yeah, as I say, I've not played the deluxe version. I've just played the normal version and just wasn't bowled over by the Euro game in the first place. I'd rather play Predator Porter for a fashion-based game. Okay, party game nominees. We have Five Minute Mystery, Hughes and Cues, Master Word, Mysterium Park, and Telestrations Upside Drawn. Now, I definitely voted for Mysterium Park on this one. So come on, Mysterium. Hughes and Cues. Okay. That's the winner, apparently. Let's have a look at this. Hughes and Cues. I don't even know this one. Hughes and Cues. 2020. How well can you describe a color hue without using the primary color's name? That's a party game? That doesn't sound like much of a game. <laughs> Publisher the op. So what's this? Challenge to make connections to colors with words. Using only one and two word cues, players try to get others to guess a specific hue from the 480 colors on the game board. The closer the guesses are, the more points you earn. Since everyone imagines colors differently, connecting colors and hues and, and clues has never been this much fun. So, everybody, so, so after getting one and two word cues, everyone places their mark on which color they think is described. Coffee. Is it dark brown? Is it freshly brewed? Olay with milk. That means I should pick a lighter shade. Uh, okay, I guess. It's just a color hue board with cones. This is no. This is the party game that won compared to Mysterium Park. Compared to Mysterium Park here, people. Seriously, I'll, I'll give it a try. I will try any game once, but. Get it on the shelf again. I'll try any game once, but you're not exactly bowling me over with this uh, like initial description on BGG of Hughes and Cues. I'll try it, but I have never even heard of this game or seen a copy of it, so I'm not exactly expecting it to suddenly turn up on my desk anytime soon. But, okay, well done, but it wasn't my choice. Best game from small publisher nominees. We have uh, Chai... We have Dune Imperium, we have Honeybuzz, we have Praga Kaboot Regne, and we have Project L. And the winner, Dune Imperium. I mean, like I say, I liked Dune Imperium. Yeah, it, it was, I gave it a very, I scraped an 8 out of 10 for it at first. I was never going to give it a distinction level award. It's since gone down to a 7 easily, and it actually might even go down to a 6, who knows, but probably hangs around at a low 7. I've got problems with it. You have to find out in the, in the other video, but... Yeah, with this one, I would have given it to Honeybuzz, and Honeybuzz was the one I voted for. I mean, Praga is fine, but it's not that in that groundbreaking. Chai is a nice game from a small publisher, but it's very simple and kind of basic. I still have not played this Project L, 
And Honey Buzz, I just thought from Elf Creek Games, who is a small publisher. We even talked about them briefly on the uh, video I did with uh, with Ryan and Bethany. Uh, Honey Buzz is well produced. It's a light economic game with some interesting other bits thrown in. And for a light economic game, which is not something I tend to go for, it's just a very pleasant game. I mean, if I'm going to play a light economic game, I'd probably play Honey Buzz over a lot of others. But yeah, especially for the production quality that that thing had, this one should have won. I voted for it and it should have won, but no, everybody's on the Dune Imperium train at the moment. I guess artwork is not something, you know, artwork and components is not something that comes into uh, people's votes here. <laughs> but, oh well, let's see, what we got? Best game from a new designer. So, Beyond the Sun, Chai, Endangered Fossils and Lost Ruins of Arnak. Well, have a guess which one I voted for. Of course I voted for Lost Ruins of Arnak. These designers have not done anything before. And they created one of the best games of the year. I'm sorry, that deserves recognition. Did it win? Yeah, best new designer is The Lost Ruins of Arnak. I've not played Endangered, I'd like to try it. I've got no interest in fossils, but and I would like to try Beyond the Sun, but like I say, I to come up and beat Lost Ruins of Arnak would have to be a pretty tall order from these games. But yeah, I just can't do that. This game is great, I love it, and best new designer, definitely, definitely, definitely. Best Expansion, Chronicles of Crime 1400, Parks Nightfall, Spirit Island Jagged Earth, Unmatched Cobblin Fog, and Wingspan Oceana. Now, I'm still in two minds about Wingspan Oceana. I've not played Unmatched. Parks, I don't particularly like the game anyway. Chronicles of Crime is excellent, although 1400 is basically the same game, just changed the setting. I mean, there really isn't much difference between that and the other game. So naturally, I voted for Spirit Island Jagged Earth. It gave you so much content, so much like extra replay value. It was definitely worth the price you paid for it. And like I say, it takes Spirit Island from an 11, which was it was already there with Branch and Claw, to a 12. It's like fantastic. So please did it with... Actually, no, I don't think it would have won. Because not enough people on that committee, I think, play Spirit Island. What? Chronicles of Crime won it? I mean, don't get me wrong, it's a great game and 1400 is good, but it's the same game. It's a standalone game. I mean, it barely even qualifies as an expansion because it's basically a game you can play on its own. You don't need the original game to play it. So the rest of these are actual expansions. This is just a standalone game and it's the same game. And why is that just feels a little bit cheap yeah that feels a little bit cheap i'm not sure i would have gone with that i mean i wouldn't have even put it as a nomination to be perfectly honest because i think having the game be basically the exact same game just a different setting doesn't really qualify it as a you know brand new game per se so hmm it's a bit like the whole brass birmingham thing again that just feels a little bit cheap but like i say a good game won it I'm cool with that, but yeah, I'd have given that to Spirit Island Jagged Earth in a heartbeat. Uh, best cooperative game nominees. We have The Crew, Endangered, Forgotten Waters, Marvel United, and Pandemic Legacy Season Zero. Well, I voted for The Crew on this one, and The Crew won it. So, well done. Yeah, well done. Yeah, out of all of those, I've got no interest in Legacy Season Zero with the way it looks horrible on that board. Don't care about Marvel United, over-expensive, uh, un overrated, cool money or not game. And the others, uh, the other two I've not played. So granted, I didn't exactly have a lot of choice on this one. But I just think for innovation alone, that crew just had to be there. I mean, nobody I know is that desperate to play any of these other four games. But people have been asking me to bring the crew to a night. And it's like, and this was before they played it. 
But this is just the fact that I've said, you know, they've mentioned games that they want to play. The crew has come up in their names. These others haven't. Uh, so well done, the crew. Uh, for cooperative game. Best board game production nominees. Dwellings of Eldervale, Honey Buzz, On Mars, Tang Garden, and Tidal Blades. I, this was a weird one to vote for, but because, you know, the cost of a game kind of does a lot for its production value, you know, and all these games have got really good production. You know, every single one of them is gorgeous. So this was a hard one to vote for. I think when I voted for it, I... <sighs> It's weird because I had to choose. I chose between Dwellings and Honey Buzz. And it was a case that Honey Buzz is a relatively standard price game that gives you such good production quality in the box. Dwellings of Eldervale gives you decent quality for most part, although I would argue that some of the bits in it, like the boards having to be the lids for the trays so they get frayed all the time, not particularly good quality. And those sound bases are fun, but they are a gimmick. You know, and, but, but the Dwellings of Eldervale cost three times as much as Honey Buzz does. So you'd kind of expect that. But I think I, I voted for Honey Buzz because Honey Buzz, I think for the price point, did the best job like money. But I mean, what's the ratio you would use? I mean, production point per pound spent? I don't know. But that was the one I voted for. Yeah, Dwellings of Eldervale. I mean, it makes sense that that one probably got the win. You know, the others still look great. You know, Tang Garden's got graphic design issues, which is the problem. And on Mars is just too complicated. But, uh, but that's got nothing to do with its production values. So... Yeah, I'm not surprised Dwellings won it, and I'm happy it did. It's on my shelf. I really enjoy the game, but it's got one or two issues with the production quality, and the fact that it just cost like a million quid compared to Honey Buzz, I just felt that Honey Buzz did a lot more for that price point than Eldervale. Like, if the, if the game isn't good production value, when you pay 100 to 150 quid for the game, then your game fails. Sorry, you know, with that much money, I expect the production to be good. But when I buy a 35 quid game, you know, 35 quid ticket to ride size standard game, I don't expect the production quality to be that good <laughs> with the artwork in it as well. Oh, speaking of artwork, best artwork. I suppose maybe that's why it got there, because the pieces are better. Eh, maybe, who knows. Best artwork nominees we have. Aoife Fields, Forgotten Waters, Lost Ruins of Arnak, Oceans, and Tidal Blades again. This was tough. Effa Fields and Lost Ruins of Arnak were my two I had to decide between. I mean, Oceans, no. Forgotten Waters, it's nice, but I, you know, I'd not played it. Tidal Blades was really nice as well. I mean, there were some hard choices here. And even though I was disappointed with the gameplay of Effa Fields, I still love the artwork in it. It's really good. But then Lost Ruins of Arnak is still really, really, really beautiful. I mean, they are all sublime in artwork. But... Which one did I vote for in the end? Oh, I don't think it was Everfields. Uh, I got a feeling it was Lost Ruins of Arnat because Everfields has got fantastic art, but it's also very dark and there is some like graphical design issues with some of the other cards in it. But yeah, but it was a tough call. And I think I went for Lost Ruins of Arnak in this one. But if one of those two win it, I'm happy. Lost Ruins of Arnak takes the artwork winner. Fair enough. I'm I'm cool with that. I'm cool with that because, like I say, you look at that board when it's open out, it is such a thing of beauty. All the pieces are great. All the stuff looks nice. The card artwork is beautiful and colorful. There's nothing that looks bad or bad. There's nothing of bad production or artwork in that game. It is like one of CGE's best in terms of component quality and artwork. Oh, so lovely and beautiful. All right, have we got any more categories to do on here? Game of the year. Oh, this must be the last one then. So, game of the year. This was tough 
like I mean tough, because look at these contenders here. Calico, The Crew, Dune Imperium, Dwellings of Eldervale, Forgotten Waters. Do I really need to try this game, guys? God, it's turning up in a lot of categories. The Isle of Cats, Lost Ruins of Arnak, and Viscounts of the West Kingdom. I enjoy... Well, I've not played Forgotten Waters. I enjoy all seven of the other games. However, I will say Calico is more of a push of luck, and I've kind of burnt out on that one. And the Isle of Cats is great, but I wouldn't put it this high. And certainly, as much as I love the crew, I wouldn't put it anywhere near this high either. And Dune Imperium has been falling for me. So it was still hard to choose, though, because I had to choose between Dwellings, Arnak, and Viscounts. I initially, I got to the point where I figured Dwellings was third best because the combat can still be quite swinny in it and really hinder you if you do badly. So it was a choice between Lost Ruins and Arnak and Viscounts, and both of them are fantastic games. But in the end, I had to go Lost Ruins of Arnak again. You know, this was the one I voted for, but it was hard. So who won it? What? Wait, 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 what? The crew? Okay, I like the crew, all right? I love the crew. It's on my shelf. I've talked about how innovative it is. I've talked about how great a co-op game it is. Game of the year? Game of the year. All the games that came out in 2020. I mean, we didn't even have Whistle Mountain as a nomination. Seriously, you wanted to put Calico above Whistle Mountain for game of the year? I am sorry, but that is rubbish. And yet, Cruise won it. It's great co-op and it's innovative, but not best of the year? Out of all those, Lost Ruins of Arnak has just picked up how many awards? Like the Artwork Award, the... How many has it done? Let's have a look. Uh, what we got? Artwork? Uh, we got... Uh, what is it? Artwork. Best game from a new designer. Uh, da -da 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 -da. It was best strategy game. Yeah, best strategy game. Why it wasn't in best theming, I don't know. Uh, okay, so it's won two or three awards there, and it's been nominated for several others. I mean, it got nominated in Solo. It got nominated in... Uh, no, it won the artwork one. Uh, so what else did it get nominated in? It got nominated in... One other. Okay, fair enough, it got nominated in this. But like I say, it's been pretty popular, guys, you gotta admit. But how did the crew get the best game of the year? I mean... Fair enough. Well done. Credit where it's due. It's a great game. But no, not, I mean, you yeah, know, will this be in my top 10 retrospective? There's a good likelihood, but it's not going to be number one. I can tell you that much. But yeah, come on. Compared to Arnak and Viscounts, no, 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 no. So I don't know how this happened. I disagree with that verdict, but at least it went to a good game. I mean, if Dune Imperium won it, I might have, like, Really flipped. Not like I say, I'm not saying Dune Imperium is a bad game. Calm down. But compared to all these other games, no, 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 no. But I'm still pretty miffed that, um, oh, and sorry, Pandemic Legacy Season 0 was a nomination as well. I missed it, but yeah, whatever. Uh, but, no Whistle Mountain? Whistle Mountain, guys. Whistle Mountain. Whistle Mountain's a great game. How much more high do I have to go for this game? It was 2020, right? Yeah, it was 2020. 10 out of 10, gave it a 10 out of 10, you know, this is a really good game, seriously, this was not even a nomination, you know, I, 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 like I say, it's been a long time since I did a nomination, so I've forgotten, like, some of them, that it didn't appear, but, oh man, it's like, seriously, 
In fact, did I play Whistle Mountain before or after the nominations? I must have played it before the nominations. I forget. Time flies. Time flies when you're having fun playing good games, but yeah. Disagree with that verdict, but ah well, it went to a good game, so it's not the end of the world. So yeah, well, well done to the crew, well done to Lost Ruins of Arnak. I think they clearly stole the show with these awards here. You know, there's a few others dished around, you know, Dune Imperium sneaks in with a small publisher one. Uh, the the uh, Underfalling Skies takes the well-deserved solo. Uh, Forgotten Waters uh, grabs the one there. Undaunted for two players. Somehow this excellence in rules teaching one. This is weird. I mean, I don't remember this one. Was this just literally decided? Was there literally only one nomination? That was kind of weird. But yeah, clearly the crew and Lost Ruins of Aranak dominated these awards. And I will say, these were a lot better than the Golden Geek Awards. I can tell you that. The Golden Geek Awards, I just don't get where those categories come from. How they're decided on and some of their verdicts are just insane. You can check out my reaction videos to see me rant on those. But uh, yeah, this one was pretty good. So this was decent enough. Yeah, not every single one of my choices won, but I can give respect to, I mean, I've not, some of the ones that I would disagree with more, I've at least played and still said they're good games. And I've not played Hughes and Cues, so I can't comment. The same goes for uh, Undaunted, but Undaunted I hear a lot of good stuff about, so it's not like it's there. Best Expansion is probably the one thing that I would say we're robbed on, just because I don't agree that it counts as an expansion for this one. I would have definitely given that to Spirit Island Jagged Earth, but again, that's a minor issue. You know, a lot of the, the games that have been voted on here are pretty solid games. Well, except Gloomhaven, but that's another story. Uh, so, yeah. All in all, pretty good, pretty good, 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 good. So that's it. Uh, how long was this podcast? 57 minutes? Oh, we're still getting on to an hour. Oh, well, good thing I didn't go too long on the others. But yeah, hope you enjoyed my little uh, comments and rant on the Dice Tower Awards. Hope you like the news and the games I've played. I'm going to get on and edit this because I want to go uh, swimming or to the gym today before I play some Valheim tonight and open up some more games. I've still got to unbox a few and edit some of those videos I've recorded. But mainly... Need to rest my voice. I've done so much recording today, it's unreal. So yeah, trying to fit it in today because I was spending 12 hours gaming yesterday, as I said. But yeah, well, that's good. So you've got some more content to look forward to. Another podcast in two weeks. Another collaboration soon, I hope. Uh, we did Ryan and Bethany the other week. So go check out our top, 10, uh, sort of top five uh, small publishers. But I will do the top 10 of retrospective of 2020 soon. And I hope to do a collaboration with uh, Billy Indiana and Paul Grogan in the upcoming future, as well as um, Cobra Studios. Um, I'll be doing them when they've finally got their personal life sorted because they've been moving house and all sorts of stuff. But hopefully we'll be able to do something soon. But I think they're going to be the three next collaborations I do. I don't know which order. Depends who gets back to me. And although saying that, not just who gets back to me, but also when I get back to them. I've been very busy, so don't worry if you're listening and I haven't got back to you with a definitive, right, we're doing this list on this date, then my bad. It's just been quite busy, but don't worry. We're going to do it, all right? So probably not in time for next week, but I would say, I mean, next week I'll probably do a Q&A at some point during the week, you know, a live Q&A. And then the following week I could do a proper a stream for a collaboration. We'll see. Like I say, I'll try to get my act together. But obviously the day job must take priority, you know, because they're watching me. So you know, that's got to take priority above all things because that's what helps fund the channel for the most part. My actual day job, that's what pays the bills here, not this channel. 
you know, I would love this channel to pay the bills. If it did, I would do this full time. I would get a different house. I'd get a bigger studio. I'd do everything that all the big creators can do. All the super trendy popular ones who have their massive studios or 4K cameras and can do like 10 videos a day without even blinking. It's like, I can't do that when I got a day job. So, you know, gotta make do. Anyway, that's enough ranting and rambling. I'll see you on the next uh, Broken People video. You can listen to me on the next podcast. If you like this, then please leave a thumbs up on the YouTube video. It means the world to me to know that you appreciate the content. Don't forget that Zatu.co.uk sponsors the channel in general. So in the description, you'll find a 5% discount code to get 5% discount on your entire basket of games at Zatu. So if any of the games I've talked about take your fancy, consider making a purchase. Until next time, though, you can check out all sorts of other content on the channel just scroll to my youtube page uh, search for the broken meeple and you'll find all sorts of cool videos to watch well at least hopefully cool i'll leave you to tell me on that one but take care and remember as always it's only a game bye for now take care